Hello, and welcome to the Loft Gathering Podcast. Here at the Loft, our mission is reconciliation. We truly hope this podcast draws you into a new sense of belonging within the loving arms of Jesus Christ. Let's get started. I'm going to talk about a lot of things today. Every few weeks or so, I get to this point where I just want to talk to you. Is that okay? If I just talk to you as your pastor and as your mom and as your leader and your wife and whoever else I know to you, your daughter, your mom, your friend. So some of these things just like stir in my heart, and I just want, they, they, they're full, and I'm, I'm full, and I just want to get them all out. And this is the day. So lucky you. So there's a scripture that talks about knowing the power of Jesus' resurrection. Do you want to know that? The same scripture says, being acquainted with his sufferings. I want to know the power of his resurrection and be acquainted with his suffering. Do you want to suffer? So God's speaking to me, guys, and I named this, the title of this message, you know, we're praying fasting, this is broken to beautiful. Coming off of talking about surrender last week, surrendering your heart to God, what could happen if you did that? That's a profound thing. You you go on a life journey with God once you surrender to him. And so I like the power of resurrection. Yes, I don't like suffering. Here's a scripture I like, Isaiah 61, that God would provide for those who grieve in Zion. He would bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning. Get that crown of beauty, oil of joy. I, love, I really dig this. This is me. This is, I love this kind of stuff. A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, or another translation says heaviness. And they, us, will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Man, that's my kind of verse right there. I like I like to live in that, that his mercy, the shade I'm living in, restoring my faith and all, again, all the time in worship. Beauty for ashes is part of that. And so as I was reading that, you know, I, I go back to Isaiah. There's a couple of chapters that just really, this one and chapter 42, I mean, they just like ring over my life when I read them, when I'm feeling tired, when I need God to speak something to me. And he always does. So beauty for ash, and I felt like God, you know, was speaking this this thing to me about, you know, do you feel like ashes right now? Do you ever feel like ashes? I, I can preach to myself because I am going to, and I, I believe that somebody will grab along. You know, do you ever just feel like you've given everything you've had, and you've burned bright, and you just man, you, you cooked all the food you had, you served it all, and you gave everything, and then now you're just left with the ashes, and maybe you just even are the pile of ashes. And, and it's been a minute, so now you're cold and gray and dry. That's me. Okay, that's, that's how I'm feeling, and that's where I'm at. But don't worry, because I'm going to take a rest. I'm going to get before. God's given me a great uh, friend that bought a house by the ocean, and she lets us come and stay there. And it's pretty, pretty good. See, God will make a way where there's no way. Like, if your finance can't afford for you to go stay by the ocean for a few days or a few weeks or whatever, God will put a friend there. Who loves you and bring you to the ocean as well? You guys are not as excited about that as I am, because probably because I'm going. I'm going to be soaking up the sun and the salty air very soon, thinking of you, thinking of what God might want to say to us in this next season. But when you're the ash, there's a promise because my life is surrendered to God. So when I feel like ash, do you know what I know is coming? The spirit of the phoenix. <laughs> the, the phoenix is a mythical creature. Don't shoot me down because I'm preaching good, but the phoenix like goes from the ash and resurrects and rejuvenates with fire and comes forward again. 
not of its own power, but because of the power that resurrects it. And for me, the phoenix is like a, it's a, a legend for me. It's like a thing that I believe that Jesus does with his resurrection power in me, if I could preach this. I don't think it's blasphemy. I think it's just an idea, a metaphor, to describe the Spirit of God reaching in and resurrecting a dead thing and making it come alive again. He does it all the time, and he's really good at it. So I know that surrender is the posture that we carry, you know, head low, hands high, you know, hands up, God, God, don't shoot me, just take me, make me, make me your own, do what you got to do. I know I'm guilty, just bring me close, help me, I want to find you. And you live that surrendered place before him, and you get on this journey. Well, along the journey, there's going to be the enemy of your soul trying to ambush you every which way that you turn. I mean, if you knew how many of our body have COVID and are sick and are injured right now, it would stun you. God is trying to build something incredible, and he will, because you know why? He's the winner. When you, when you raise from the dead, you make all the rules, you're the winner. Okay? But the enemy will try, and it's part of the plan of God. I don't know why. It's part of the plan of God to go out, take the head of the enemy, bring it back to you, and call it your victory. Yeah. It's the way that he does it. He's a defender, but there has to be a struggle to have a victory. And I think we get discouraged sometimes. And we, if we go too long down the road of discouragement, we end up in that pile of ash. And I'm telling you, God wants to breathe something to us that is life-giving that we might begin to understand that those who are with us are more than those against us. Because the enemy wants you to stay discouraged and crabby and sick and fault-finding and negative and poor and complaining and absent of faith, and not spending time in the Word. He loves it, man. He loves that kind of stuff. He loves it because you are made in the image of God, and it hurts God when you hurt. And that's his move. It's his move every time. And so what we do is we begin to pray together, you know. This is one great thing about small church. We know each other, so we know what's going on. And we can all, when someone tells me about their hurt, I get my shield of faith next to their shield of faith. Double duty. I tell a couple other people, all the shields going up. No, it's a terrible sound effect, but you can hear it in your mind, all the steel clinging to guard off every fiery dart of the enemy. Because weapons will be formed. They just won't prosper. Okay? So all along the path from the broken place to the beautiful place is loaded with these pitfalls and challenges and the enemy trying to take you out, trying to challenge what you're doing. So in you, there's a battle between your spirit and your flesh, constantly going on. And we're, we're trying to move from being Christians who believe in God to disciples who actually execute what God has called us to do. Remember my job is to equip the saints for the work of ministry as you. What if you don't want to do the work of ministry? Then <laughs> you are in the wrong place. Your job is reconciliation every time. And everybody who ministers here is contributing to the whole. Whilst in you is the conflict of the spirit and the flesh. In Galatians 5 it says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. The spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want, whatever you feel like, whenever you feel like doing it. If we remember a couple weeks ago, I don't even know when it was, but I felt this urge to tell you some of the things I dream and see. 
even in worship this morning, when I was I had my eyes closed, you know, I was envisioning this place, and then in my in my mind vision, it was every seat full, all the way up here full on both sides. I have to preach from up there. There's not enough room, and in the back. Now, this has never happened to me in seven years until this year. Okay, it just it just started happening, where God is telling me this room is getting ready to be filled more than we can hold. I won't be able to minister to everybody by myself. You will have to help me. And you will. You will do it. And you will grow and you'll be offended and you'll be like, how dare they? And then you'll remember that God called you to this and you wanted it. And then you'll go back to repentance being the cure for your heart. And you'll go back and you'll have another, another coffee and another time with somebody and it'll be profound. And I don't know what comes after that, but I can see in my mind a different building now. So I'm just sharing with you. I don't even know. I, I just believe that that's God speaking to my life. Okay, so things have to take place between where we start and what we go through in our life to the place of surrender. And we're almost there because that's when God's getting us ready to bring the vision for what he's going to. The vision isn't to have a house full of people. It isn't. It's to have you in relationship and covenant with God and moving and about this planet as his ambassador. Jesus is alive. I don't know if you know that. He's alive. He's well. Powerful. His name, you know, it levels all the mountains in your life. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he's the Lord. So surrender is amazing. But leading up to surrender is excruciating. And that's where we are. At least that's where I am. I feel like some of you are there with me. So we're going to talk today a little bit more about Esau and Jacob, Jacob and Esau. And if you remember your Bible history, we've read all this, those of you who are going through the program with us. So, you know, if you think Moses is old, Abraham's older. Okay? Abraham was before. It's Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Abraham's the one that God says, I'm going to bless you. And God walked with him like he was his friend. Does anybody want to walk with God like God was your friend? Do you want to be that pure and raw before God, that open, that God can walk with you and call you his friend? How good of a friend are you to God? You don't have to be perfect to be God's friend. Abraham certainly wasn't. You should go read some of Genesis. It reads like a, a steamy love novel, betrayal, hate, murder. You know, it's all in there. You know why? That's the human condition. That God comes and, and he rubs you like with this fuller soap. Like he just rubs your whole self with the power of his blood and like that resurrection power. And he brings you to this place of grace doesn't mean you're perfect after that. It means you recognize that you're living in grace. Surrender's powerful, but leading up to it's excruciating. Okay, so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jacob has a son, Joseph. Joseph, we sang a song about the coat of many colors. Joseph is the guy. His brothers hate him for his dream. Goes into exile. Remember? His brothers want to kill him, but the eldest brother says, no, don't kill him, just throw him in the pit. You guys know that story? You throw him in the pit, you throw his, you get his coat all bloody, take it back to dad. Joseph's dead. God promotes Joseph. He brings all of Israel into Egypt because he governs the land by the food. And he feeds them and he saves the nation. But now they're all slaves, right? And then Moses is going to bring them all out of slavery so God can be glorified and they can remember their Lord is again, right? Just get a little backdrop for who we're talking about. So these are the two sons, Jacob and Esau. They're twins. One is buff and ruddy and rugged and manly and one is just like slender and girly and mom's favorite and manipulative and like that 
least that's how I read it. No trends. And these guys grew up under the legend and the stories that Abraham and Isaac have been telling them. But they've never had that encounter with God. Not yet. And I know that's some of us. We've heard stories and we've You've heard the testimonies, and if you even seek God and you, you're listening to a podcast, you're going to hear a story of what God did, another thing someone's accrediting to, God moving. But maybe you haven't had an encounter yourself. We need that. We need the encounter with God ourselves. I can't give you that. Only he can do that. And I know how you get it, though, by seeking, knocking, and asking, and keep doing that, because God is not unfaithful. And he's not disappointing. He will come. And he will bring you and bring you the power of himself. Here's the scripture. It says, Philippians 3.10, Paul. Paul is in the Philippian prison. It's actually under the city through the sewer system runs through it. And he writes some stuff about just the revelation he's had about Jesus. And he says the statement, Oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means, that I might attain the resurrection from the dead. And when I read this stuff, I don't even feel saved. I, I gotta tell you, I mean, I read that stuff and I pray for protection all the time. I pray for safety. You know, I pray, I just, I pray that God would keep us and not forsake us, you know? And, and sometimes I think God wants us to pray, set me in the course that you have for me whether it's safe or not, because sometimes God is not safe. A cross is not safe. I'm just going to tell you, it's not. A, a prison under the ground next to the sewer is not safe. Is it the will of God? No, it is. Why does God have suffering as part of his plan? I believe it is part of his plan. If you, if you can imagine, if you can imagine that you and Jesus were arrested, because you're guilty too, and then Jesus and you are crucified next to each other. Just imagine that that's you. And you're right next to him. Is there anything ever that's going to separate that bond? Because you're looking at each other's eyes and you're bleeding. And it's like you're going through this thing together. Can you, you can't even fathom. You can't even fathom that. You know why? Because we live in the United States of America. We have everything we've ever fathomed and wanted. But we got to go past that, back to his presence. We've got to look past all the stuff that would distract us back to the glory of God. That God would, would help us to understand the power of his resurrection and maybe through some of the suffering. Because people that suffer, they have empathy. People that suffer become incredible ministers. People that struggle on the daily with pain or anxiety have the most profound word from God back to your life because they're spending time crying out to God over and over and over again that if it's possible, would you let this cup pass? If, if you could, God, remove this stone, this thorn in my flesh. My grace is enough. They'll say something like that. He wants us to go through something. You know, I heard this story that it's by Francis Chan, another person, if you, if you want to really cry and weep and feel like you're not saved, it's another guy you could listen to and Read his stuff. He has this, um, what's that podcast called? What's the name of it? Something Love. Crazy Something Love. Crazy Love. It's a podcast. It's really good. And um, in it, he was talking about meeting a, a pastor who was arrested from the Taliban. It got a group of, of Americans and missionaries. And there was um, a couple pastors in this group. 
And after a few days, you know, the one of the pastors says, listen, guys, they're gonna they're getting ready to separate us and they're gonna kill us. They're gonna kill us one by one. And look, you know, this is how they do it. I'm just gonna tell you I'm gonna volunteer. I'm gonna go first. And I want you guys just to keep that word in your heart and to stay true to what we came here for. Keep that gospel story, you know, going. And it's gonna be all right. I believe God's gonna that'll be enough. Because if, if they kill one of us, it'll, it'll be enough to move the powers that be to get the rest of us free. And another guy goes, well, I'm a pastor too. I'm an, I'll, and I'm older than you, so I'm going to go first. Because I've already lived more than you, and I'm going to do this. And they're all witnessing this, you know, and they're, and they're having this conversation. And Francis Chan, what happens? They take the, they take the pastor and they kill him. And they get their ransom paid, and they get everybody home. Francis Chan had the privilege of meeting one of those guys, the one that didn't go first. And he goes, man, you know, sometimes I just wish I was back there. Why would you wish that? He goes, because, man, my faith was, like, like so high. Like, I felt so close to him and so in his presence. There's nothing I wouldn't have done just to, just to stay there and to stay close. But now that I'm home, because I've tried. I've tried fasting. I've tried praying. I spend time in worship. I'm in my word, but I can't get that connection back like it was when I was suffering. There's something profound about it. There's something about anxiety that rings like this. When you're alone and you have anxiety, it's just you and the wall and God. I mean, there's nothing else. No one can get into it. No one can get past it. I believe anxiety is a wall that needs to come down in our culture in the name of Jesus. Put that name on my fast this year. That anxiety would be broken. That God would have his way. That we wouldn't have a fear of the future, but we would begin to understand who we belong to. You know, the Bible says we go from glory to glory. It says it like this. We all, with an open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the we change from glory to glory by looking at God. Some of us are Christians that have no joy, and we go from misery to misery, from broken place to broken place, from a negative report to the next negative report. And I'm just want to encourage us, that is not God. God, That is the enemy's plan. God's plan is that you begin to look at what you do have and what you do possess, and who is for you, and what is going good, and what is happening, and start to look at the glass, not just half full, but running over, right? So Jacob and Esau. You know, I'm not going to read this whole thing to you. It's in Genesis. I'm going to read a couple clips, but, you know, when Jacob, you know, he has this situation where he knows that his brother is his dad's favorite. Does anybody have sibling rivalry? <laughs> yeah, you know, your parents love you all. They're just different. There's a different connection. And the parents that, that are the most aggressive toward a certain child is probably because they're the same. They're the same, and it's the things in you that irritate them, and so they come for you, you know. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yeah, you just have you have it. You know, you gotta connect. You have to find a place of, of connection. And, and Jacob and Esau are growing up like this, and so you know, there's a moment where 
Jacob has watched his mom. His mom is the woman who, when Isaac, her husband, servant, went to find her, she went down and into a well and brought up camel water. Like, you know how much water a camel can drink? And she watered all of his camels. She's a servant. This same woman now has learned how to manipulate and navigate the whole situation. And she has learned Isaac is older, and we're gonna, I'm going to have to help my son. And so for whatever her motive and whatever her reasoning, she's a manipulator. And she teaches her son how to do it. And so they're making food. It sounds like chili and cornbread if you read it, red lentils and some kind of bread. And Esau's been out working in the field all day, and he comes in, and he's like, starving, I'm starving, you know, I've I, I got to find some food, and you know, it's in Genesis, uh, where is it, 25, where we're going to see how dramatic Esau actually is, and have a dramatic sibling or relative or friend that you have to deal with constantly, it's taxing, people, here's what happens, Genesis 25, Jacob cooked a stew, and Esau came in from the field, and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, please feed me some of that red stew. I'm, I'm weary. Jacob said, sell me your birthright. Esau said, look, I'm about to die. What good is a birthright? Drama. Jacob said, swear to me. And he swore to him, and he sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of stew. Says he despised his own birthright. Before we condemn him too quickly, we're doing the same thing. We are called. We are the ambassador of Christ. We're not going to sell our birthright for any reason. We're going to regain it. Right? Sound good? So he has this controlling mother. He has this aloof father who doesn't even know who he is. Look at Genesis 27. It says, Jacob came close to his father, Isaac, who touched him and said, Well, the voice is Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. The Bible says Isaac's eyesight wasn't what it was. But apparently his cognitive understanding of who his son was and his presence was not known either. He says, the voice is Jacob, but the hands are Esau. Isaac didn't recognize him. Do you, you ever have a father who's aloof and doesn't recognize you or know even where you are? Because I grew up like that. One dad absent, one who didn't love me. Until Jesus. Right? This stuff rings true in the Bible. You think this stuff is archaic? This is where you live. This is where I live. Controlling mom, aloof dad, dramatic siblings. So he's heard the stories about God. He's become a manipulator and a liar. So he's around God, but he doesn't have a connection with God, like many of us. And I believe that God wants us to have a connection. And so here's the story of how he gets broken down to become beautiful and live the life that he's looking and I do believe the life that you're looking for is just right past your surrender. The life that you want, the one you believe in, will it, will it change? Maybe not. The circumstances might not even move one inch, but you will change in it, and you will see it as a different life, and it'll be good. So listen to this. So the mom, you know, after, after he manipulates the birthright out of Esau's hand and takes it, goes in and gets the blessing, this stuff was a big deal back then. If, if your elder prayed the blessing over you, you're carrying it. You're carrying the anointing of that house. You're carrying the wealth of it. We believe in this stuff today. That's why we pray over babies when they get here. We, we pray and we anoint them with oil. We anoint sick people with oil. We believe in these things being 
actually happening as an impartation from heaven to our lives. So after Jacob does that, he gets scared. He's like, my brother is going to kill me, like literally. And he runs. And I remember, man, I, I grew up with two little brothers and a little sister. And I used to, like, kick my brother's butts all the time until they got big enough. And then I couldn't. And then I learned how to manipulate out of the situation, right? But when they were little, I remember just destroying them, sitting on their chest and poking it. You know, I remember to pretend like I was going to spit and sucking it back up right before it was too late. Most of the time, I got it back. You know, I mean, that's the kind of tension that we had in our lives. We had to roll around fights. I learned how to fight. You not fight like a girl. You fight like brothers. So, it, you know, it's like these guys have a tension already, but something serious has taken place, and now Jacob is afraid, and so he leaves. And he runs to his mom's brother, Laban. Uncle Laban, now we're going to go see Uncle Laban, and we're going to find out that he's more dysfunctional even than what we just left. And so the story's in Genesis 29. I'll read you a little bit of it. It says, Laban, to Uncle Laban, had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah. The name of the younger was Rachel. Now Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. And Jacob loved Rachel. He said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. And Laban said, well, it's better I give her to you than I should give her to another man. So stay with me. Jacob served him seven years for Rachel. It seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife for the days are fulfilled that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and he made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter. Remember, he likes Rachel, but Laban had a feast. And then he brought in Leah instead of Rachel. And she gave, he gave his daughter and brought her to Jacob. And Laban gave his maid, Zilpah, to his daughter Leah as a maid. And it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? Now, just really quick, remember Jacob knows God, but he isn't committed to or surrendered to God. And I'm just going to creatively suggest that how does a man go to bed with someone that he doesn't know who it is unless he's drunk off of his butt? Well, if you look back in the, in the place there, it said the men of the, pal the place made a feast in the evening, and there was wine, and a lot of it. And so Leah comes in, and in the morning, behold! It wasn't Rachel, okay? You're not going to sleep with the wrong person if you're not drunk. That's for free. And it says, what is this you have done to me? What is it? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why have you deceived me? And don't you think that's funny that he would ask that question? Because this man is a master deceiver. The deceiver is now deceived. Laban said, must not be done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Well, you could tell me that first, Pop. <laughs> Fulfill her week, and we will give you this one also for the service, which you will serve me with still another seven years. So Jacob did did so and fulfilled her week. So then he gave the daughter uh, Rachel as well. So now he's got two wives, but he's got to work another seven years for Laban. It's 14 years. And then stuff starts to happen. Like Jacob remembers, man, I'm manipulative. He still knows about God. He still knows the stories. Hey, Abraham, come out from this land and come into the land I'll show you that you might prosper. Come on, that's God speaking to Abraham in, in Genesis 12, I think it is. Come to a land I'm going to show you. I'm going to prosper you. I'm going to make your descendants like the sands of the sea. Grandma was old. She couldn't have a baby. 
there's this whole story, this whole, and it's not a legend. This actually happened in their family, where the grandma laughed at the prospect of having Isaac, and then they named him Laughter, right? Jacob knows all the stories, but he still hasn't had an encounter with God. Not yet. So, he comes up with an idea. You know, Laban says, you pasture the flocks, and any spotted or speckled lamb, you can have. Any of the cattle that's not like you know perfect, you can have. But I get all the I get all the ones that are unblemished. So Jacob, he's in charge of that. So you know he does starts bringing his little speckled lamb in for the mating season, and now all the flock is starting to have speckles and spots. And it and it's like you know Laban, that wasn't a smart move on you. But Jacob is a manipulator, and he sneaked it in. So now he's gaining. He's gaining flocks. He's gaining cattle. He's having children along the way. And Leah, even though he loved Rachel, he has an obligation. Poor guy. He's got two wives. You know, he's got ten sons over here and two sons over here. And he's he's ready to go. He's ready to come out from Uncle Laban and go find his way. But he's still plagued by all this anxiety of what's going to happen if I go back. How can I mend this? How can there be reconciliation? And depending on which teacher you listen to or which scholar, you know, they, some people teach that Jacob and Esau never had a reconciliation because they, li they lived in different places. But I'm going to read you the story, and you can make up your own, your own conclusion. So he's on his way back, and he, he, starts to, you know, he starts to get everybody together. He's loaded up you know, all, all, everything he owns now. And he has literally two camps of people. And he's making his way back, and he's, and he's just filled with this kind of anxiety. If you look here at Genesis 32, what happened? It says, he arose in the night, he couldn't even sleep, took his two wives and two female servants, his 11 sons, he crossed over Jabek, and he took them, sent them over the brook, sent over what he had, and Jacob was left alone. Something's going to happen when you're by yourself. You and God. Great things happen in this room. Great ministry, great words come forward. You know, there's a spirit of prophecy that'll come, a word of knowledge, somebody will pray for you, somebody will hug you so tight. It'll bring tears to your eyes that you can feel loved in a room like this. But when you're alone, this is when the stuff happens. You and God. Jacob was left alone, and a man, capital M, wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he did not prevail against him, the angel, touched the socket of his hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go, for the day breaks. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What is your name, Jacob? He said, your name is no longer Jacob. It will be Israel because you struggled with God and with men and you prevailed. How many of us struggle with God? Whether you know it or you don't know it, if your life isn't surrendered, you're struggling. You should, you should relent and surrender to him lest your hip come out of socket. I'm saying that as a metaphor. There's pain that we there's pain that we bring on ourselves. We hurt our own feelings sometimes. If we would just stay in the presence and in the surrender of what God has called us to, we're gonna miss a whole lot of trouble. How many struggle with anxiety thinking about facing their family? How many are struggling with how to reconcile something? How many are struggling with their own connection to God and believing in their own faith? Jacob gets down the road, Genesis 33, and he's making his way toward his brother. 
he's had an encounter with God now. I didn't read this part, but he put up a little stone there. You know, the, the stone says God is mighty. That's what it means. Because he had an encounter now. He has had a wrestling that brought him to the knowledge of what God is. And I mean, sometimes I think if you've been around God, but you haven't had that encounter, you've got you to say something like that. You know, how do you get an encounter with God? You knock and you, and you ask and you seek and you keep on knocking and asking and seeking. And you stay true. And you seek God with all your heart. There's no way he's not going to come. And you got to grab onto it with everything that you are. I'm not letting go until you bless me, God, whatever it takes. So he had this encounter. Genesis 33, it says, Jacob looked up. Everybody's moving. These caravans are moving toward home. And he saw Esau coming. And Esau has 400 men with him. And man, you can imagine it. He's just like, cool, here we go. And so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front. And Leah and her children next. And then Rachel and Joseph in the rear. And he himself went on ahead and he bowed to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. And I'm going to read this. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. And he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. And he wept. This is going to happen again with Joseph and his brothers in the not too near future. I think that's a reconciliation. There's definitely some healing, but God had to put a little time and space in between the brothers so that he could speak to both sides and he could bring healing. Esau says some stuff to him, like, brother, I don't need, you know, what are all these, what is all this? What are all these people and goats and supplies? And, and Jacob's trying to manipulate the situation still, you know, because just because we have an encounter with God, we're, we're still going to have to deal with our ways, right? And he says, here's a gift that I brought you. And Esau says, you know, I've been blessed too, brother. You know, I'm not mad. God, there was enough for both of us, and God has made my life rich. I don't need your gift. I just need you. And they start to have their brotherly connection again. Are you ready for an encounter with God? Are you hungry for it? Will you stand up with me? I'm going to spend a little time in these next few weeks. I'm going to go to some kind of training for pastors and leaders for Foursquare in a few days. And I want you to pray for me that God will speak to me speak to my heart and just remind me what he's doing and what he wants to do for us. I'll come back and preach next week and then I'm going to be out of town. And I know that you guys want me to go so I can be refreshed and come back. But I pray that you have an encounter of your own that as, as I'm off seeking God and resting, that you would seek God and that you would rest. I pray that you would find a, a wrestling with God to find the freedom of your defender in the wrestling, how many of you struggle with anxiety? If you're bold enough just to show me. Yeah, you guys, that's, that's like more than half of us. Anxiety is related to the future. You have to give it to him. I don't know what the future holds. I only know what the Bible says, and I believe it. But anxiety will cripple you and forbid you from doing any good work. It'll even take your quality of life, make you miss out on things, and miss places you used to be, and you need to be. And I remember suffering through that myself. I'm encouraging you to wrestle with God and go through it. He wants to bring you from the wilderness back into life. Anxiety is a, is a trick of the enemy. 
And I'm speaking from experience. I understand how it feels. I know the terror of it. I remember. And I'm not against medicine, you know? But I don't think the answer is to put three-fourths of the world on medicine. I think the answer is to surrender to God and to find the place in him that says, I know that if I give myself to you and I trust you, it's going to be okay. And you remind yourself of it every day. It's going to be okay. Those of you who suffer with anxiety, and even if you don't, how many of you are in the Word regularly? Because when I was anxious, man, I had to run to it. I had to find something that would be life-giving, that would sustain me. And I found stuff that said, fear not. I'm with you. I found stuff that said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in a green pasture. When you're suffering from anxiety, the last thing you want to do is lie down and be still. So God's already moving before you even knew it. He already set the whole thing up for you today. Because anxiety is the head of your enemy. And God is going to take it by his power, by his authority, Medically, I don't care. Whatever you got to do to take the steps of faith to get you free. Because your freedom is yours. And that's why he's going to call it your victory. Right? Let's just give it everything we can to him. God, would you, would you come again in the middle of this moment, of this message? Would you speak life to us? Would you help us to offer to you the things that terrify us, God? That we might be bought with a price for real. That we might come into a fellowship, into your power of your resurrection, as we have certainly stood next to suffering. Not like you did, Jesus. All we do is praise, and all we're going to do is worship you. Thank you, God. Thank you for this moment. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. Remember to like and subscribe to this podcast. You can learn more about The Loft Gathering by visiting loftgathering.com or by joining us for Sunday morning worship service at 10.30 a.m. Till next time, be blessed.